Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. If we were to rely purely on just having to reorg for every business requirement that we need to deliver to or a customer need that we need to execute to, we would endlessly be reorging. And it's just not possible, which means that we have to and we must operate in matrix worlds, which also then further means that we have to be okay with working with each other in a way that is not just, hey, if I don't report to you or you're not on my team is only when I will make you successful. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. When you're operating at massive scales, very quickly, priorities between organizations begin to compete and conflict. So how do you navigate the tension? How do you deal with the trade-offs and navigate this conflict? In this episode, Ritu Bhargava, Chief Product Officer of SAP Customer Experience, joins us to talk about navigating conflicts in large-scale organizations with competing priorities. In this conversation, we cover how to gain buy-in toward your priorities, how to address conflicts and competing interests across a massive organization, plus strategies for minimizing ego and generating curiosity as an engineering leader, Ritu's most valuable prioritization tool, and how to identify and manage conflicts before they become an issue. Let me introduce you to Ritu. Ritu Bhargava is the Chief Product Officer of SAP Customer Experience. In her role, she heads product, engineering, user experience, strategy, and operations for the entire customer experience portfolio. Previously, Ritu was at Salesforce as the Senior Vice President of Engineering for Sales Cloud, Salesforce's flagship product suite. She recently joined the Qualtrics Board of Directors and co-chairs the West Coast Advisory Board for Asian University for Women, a Bangladesh-based nonprofit dedicated to women's education and leadership development. She also enjoys supporting cricketing initiatives in America, having played on the USA Women's Cricket Team. Enjoy our conversation with Ritu Bhargava. Welcome, Ritu. We're so excited to have you join us on the show. One of the things that I, I was really excited to get into, SAP in 2022 delivered a record number of new features and innovations. And so what stood out to me is like, what I think about the scale that SAP operates, that's already a high level thing. But then to like reach a, a new level of, of feature launches and things, I'm like, holy smokes, like that's a completely different capacity of operating in terms of like an engineering entity. And so a lot of the things I want to talk to you about, like kind of go in this realm of leveraging resources, unlocking capacity, relationships and communication, and how the heck you you helped do that. And I know that like that probably has continued on into 2023 now that we're talking. So the opening question really to set our conversation, obviously like you have to generate a lot, you have to be able to operate at a, at a massive sense of bandwidth and be able to pay attention to a lot of different things to happen to this. How do you best maximize the time and intention of some of the, the senior leaders that you're working with at such this massive scale? Like when the bandwidth and attention is always at a premium and you have to do deliver at this le level of the business, like how do you maximize that time and attention? So I personally believe that I'm a product of relationships and I'm a product of bridging barriers and people and teams. 
that's where my sweet spot is. The more complex and the more hairy teams and organizational setups are, the more I thrive. And when I say I thrive, I thrive because I love working through that mess to create something out of that because I believe every organization, every team, every person has strengths. And so how do you take those strengths and make them your superpowers is that sweet spot. And SAP is extremely complex. It's a big enterprise company. Um, I've spent 10 years at Oracle and 10 years at Salesforce and they are enterprise companies as well. But SAP, just to give you an example, the first day that I joined, I asked my HR rep as to how many how many cities or countries did I have my teams in? And she told me that she'd have to come back to me. And I thought that this person doesn't know what she's talking about. She doesn't even have this information. And so she sent me an Excel spreadsheet with 75 row items of the cities that my teams are in. It's just massively complex. And this is around the world. Like every region, every country in the world is represented, which makes it supremely complicated. I can't even send an email to say, hey, it's the beginning of summer because in Australia it isn't perhaps. <laughs> and so it's, it just gives me a whole different lens of how do you, how do you really bridge those barriers. It's very exciting. When you talk about the passion for for bridging barriers at this level and scale, I'm wondering, like, do you have some examples of some of the the barriers that or the the bridges that needed to be built in an organization at this scale that were surprising or bridges that were particularly meaningful to this aim of you know being able to expand capacity and deliver features at such a scale? There's an example, a story from an old old company that. I've, the reason why I'm, I'm giving an old example is I've lived to see the difference after many, many years, and it's not just something that happened. And I use that as a template for what I'm doing here now, is we were embarking on a very complicated, very, very complicated project. And it was deeply technical. It required many teams from platform to applications to UI, changing the UI massively, uh, re-architecting uh, systems, thinking about the impact to customers infrastructure, all of that. And I went to talk to this leader who was going to be a counterpart of mine and asking him, how can I help? What can I do differently? And I, I need this to work to, uh, well together. We need to execute. We need to deliver. And I thought he's going, and he was a very deeply technical guy, the CTO. Until I thought he would tell me about these 10 requirements and 10 things we should think about on the architecture. But the one thing he told me is, Ritu, our teams are not are not working well together. I don't think there's trust. I don't think they're really aligned on a shared goal of what success looks like. And they kind of are going after each other. And that changed it for me because all of this time I'm, I'm thinking about execution and meeting those milestones. And what he's talking to me is culture and how we work together and how we're really collaborating on that shared goal. And so that conversation really changed it for me. And what I did differently was on a day-to-day -day basis, I looked for opportunities as to how I made the other team successful, how I removed their bottlenecks and blockers ahead of mine, not always perhaps, but consistently so that when they came to me, it was not always about complaining or why their dependencies were not met, but more so like, oh my God, I can't believe that you worked on our dependency ahead of your own feature. And no one, do no one did it. No one thought of it like that, but what it did was it also motivated my team because they started getting more support from them. And it's not us versus them as you think about building bridges and, and communication channels. It's the collective. 
That's such a powerful story in, in terms of setting aside what may appear most important to you or your team in order to then make somebody else successful. Like there's a little bit of a cognitive shift that has to happen, but the impact you're describing then is like everybody then wins and is moving faster, doing more and, and having a larger impact. What did the conversation look like with the team to change that orientation and to gain buy-in towards like prioritizing those dependencies over like the feature work that you were focused on? Yeah, that that's usually the hardest part because when I was a development manager or an engineer or a project leader, and I've, I've been through all of those roles or a first line, second line manager, we are so fixated on my team and my scrum and my epics and my sprint and my release date. There are two parts to the problem. One is as an organization, we don't incentivize people to make others successful ahead of us. And the second is we are so fixated on our deliverables which sometimes are made up deliverables, that we fail to see that there could be a trade-off that would make others be prioritized ahead of our sometimes made up deliverables. Like who tells you that if you are signing up for 20 story points for your team, you cannot sign up for 15 story points and the five story points worth of bandwidth could be for helping someone else's dependency and unblocking them ahead of us. It's a mindset shift as well as to, you know, are we really talking about a fixed mindset or, you know, or a growth mindset of putting ourselves out there? Looking at the other side of this. So in this realm of like recognizing that in this opportunity, like supporting this other person's initiative is going to unlock a lot more for the company, but then also it's going to unlock greater support for you in kind of the spirit of, of, of influencing and advocating for your priorities and the projects that you're working on. Is there a moment where you had to persuade or influence another executive leader to support your idea or initiative or, or a big project or deliverable your organization was working on? So in the world that we are operating today, where technology is changing so fast and customer needs are changing so rapidly, and technology is supposed to support with those changing needs, if we were to rely purely on just having to reorg for every business requirement that we need to deliver to or a customer need that we need to execute to, we would endlessly be reorging. And it's just not possible, which means that we have to and we must operate in matrix worlds, which also then further means that we have to be okay with working with each other in a way that is not just, hey, if I don't report to you or you're not on my team is only when I will make you successful. And so the beginning of that and the examples for me that have repeatedly worked is, how many times do I have a human conversation with a peer, with a person who's more senior than me? A human conversation, not a status report. Hey, this is the problem. This is what we're trying to achieve. This is the timeline. And as usual, everyone is, you know, strapped for resources. So what gives? Can we just have that conversation rather than trying to have jargons and presentations and long emails thrown at us? A very senior person, we were on this project where we had to deliver 15, 20 products coming together. Every day there would be bugs and bugs and bugs that we had to go through. And all I had to do was go and tell that senior leader about the issues. And he would get really mad at me because all I had was bad news. <laughs> what I did not do at that time was go and have that conversation. Hey, you know, Mr. XYZ, this is the situation. I'm totally committed to making this a success. I'm not coming in your way. I am with you. I'm trying to make this project successful, but this is where I'm blocked and this is what is not going to help. 
I need you to understand this. I need you to, you know, unblock me or hey, not, but please don't second guess me or my integrity or my intention. How many times have you had that conversation with your senior most person who's trying to give you so much pressure for delivering? I can tell you right now, very rarely someone four or five levels down me will have the courage to come and just tell me that. And when, when I do hear that, I was like, that was a nice, sincere conversation. I get it. The make the intention explicit element seems like such a such a powerful hack. It's just even taking the one minute to describe your intention and what you're hoping to do together. Sounds like it just helps remove any of the misconceptions uh, or like the prescribed ill intention are there other strategies or frameworks or ways you've approached like communicating that new initiative and the need for it or your ideas that you've found to also have like an unlocking result in those types of conversations? For one, if it doesn't matter the scope of, of your influence or your team, or if you're an individual contributor, you're a first line manager, second line manager, executive, you will always have more and more and more. But for me, what has worked is first of all, the scope that I have, how much do I have it in control? Do I really understand it? Do I really, am I really focusing on the things that are really going to move the needle? In software, it's it's usually about what are you delivering? What are you executing towards? Rather than if you're spending four hours or six hours or 15 hours, I don't care till the time, hey, you know, you, either you learn, which is, you know, a mindset of learning, or you have an outcome, which is a delivery mindset, or you're, you're helping, a collaboration mindset. And all of those things, there's some things that, you know, you go after. So for me, as I have just oriented towards knowing what am I solving for and having that intention and focus, because you can look everywhere and fix a thousand things. First, you get your house in order and then you move ahead. I've seen a lot of people, including myself early on, worrying about others. It's like, hey, if you're going to point three fingers on a dependency not met, have you seen as to is your backlog and is your like story complete? Are you really thinking about that first rather than asking? And have you met them more than 50% uh, of, of the way rather than thinking that they're going to meet you? How much am I putting myself out there, out, uh, out there rather than expecting that others will do that first? So the tools for me are focus, intention of the outcome, um, and not necessarily just an outcome which is successful. Failures have taught me the best. We're talking a little bit about communication. And so I think at a high level, what I'm, what I'm hoping to do is examine some of the different relationships that you've you've navigated and worked through with different folks, especially at the, the scale in which you, you've operated in in your career. As you're talking here, like one of the things that stands out to me is is just the intentionality in which you bring towards how you communicate, you know, different elements of what you're working with, with different leaders, whether that's, you know, executive leaders you're working with, like executive leaders that you're collaborating with cross-functionally. So I wanted to dive into like some of the like communication tactics here with some of the different relationships that you're working with. And so specifically like in those progress update moments or opportunities where you're trying to get feedback on an approach or a, a big strategic mandate that you're trying to guide your organization towards, how do you approach a progress update in a world in which you're operating at like a high volume in like very massive scope? How is that different? And then how do you get feedback on things like that? Let me give you an example. And so this is a true story. Uh, I was, I think, maybe a senior director at that time. And we had a huge data loss issue. And we, you know, you can obviously endlessly go into, you know, who caused it and what caused it. But regardless of who and what caused it, I was on point to send a daily communication to anyone who was everyone in the company. 
And so think it's like the top 100, 200 people who are going, it's like full visibility. Now, there are two parts to this. Number one, I thought I was on point, but it's not true. There was another person also who was on point and they thought that they were also on point. You can think of this as, oh dear, I'm, I'm on the hot seat. Now people are looking at me. I'm, I'm, I messed up. But you also know if you're in, in the industry that a lot of senior leaders use that as an opportunity for visibility. And so here I am, obviously my, you know, my team is on point to fix it and there's a remediation, 10 swim lanes going on. And for 10 swim lanes, you're like, I'm that person who thrives on, as I told you, the complexities. And so for me, I'm like, oh my God, I have to go talk to these 10, 15 people. I'm running the scrum of scrums. I'm like, I was so energized. I was working 20 hour days and it was just like the best of me. And like, I'm going to write everything in my, my email and I'm going to send it out and it's going to go to the who's who of the company and they'll know who I am. And of course, I'm obviously fixing it. So I'm going to take the credit for it. Who hasn't gone through this? right? We all go through this in, in software. So now what starts is two of our bosses are going at it. No, this person should send it and this person should send it. No, no, you have to push yourself to do it. And I start thinking my bosses are going to cry murder over this. And I want to obviously do this. My peer really wants to do this. And so we both start writing that email so it has to go out at 5 p.m. We start writing that email at noon. So whoever gets to it first gets to send it. <laughs> and so the first few days, it's like, I got to it first, I send it, whatever. And then I saw that there was so much friction going on. So because we both were at it, I decided that I'm going to show the same kind of urgency and get the same kind of information and collect that information, write that email, get the status in a way, get it reviewed. And then I told this person, you sent it. I did all the work like it was mine, my, my name on it. And that person could not believe it. They just couldn't because I just changed the game. I said, this is not, this is, we can totally do this. And I said, hey, you know what? Why don't we just alternate? Like one day you send it, the other day I send it. It's all cool. And I showed it by doing it rather than just saying, okay, now it's yours. You go deal with it. And till date, in fact, surprisingly, I'm actually having dinner with that person and we're still friends. We don't work together anymore. We have both moved on, but they remain one of, you know, my closest pals. And it, that I would say was a defining moment in our relationship. How did that impact your relationship moving forward? Like what did that unlock after establishing that shared sense of I have your back and it's not about me being the center of attention, but it's about us succeeding together. Like what was the impact of that? It brought forward the fact that we both were ambitious, right? We both were going after similar things and it just put it out there in as many, as few words as possible. But it also, because that person was able to take my work and send it out, it also gave that person a lot more respect for me. It also gave a lot more uh, trust. And I think trust is just extremely important in situations where, you know, this, this person was a peer of mine. He obviously understood the shared understanding of the situation and the complexity and the impact and everything. And so then it became like we are in it together rather than you're fighting this or I'm fighting this alone. The thing that stands out to me from this story is the power of when you sort of give up the ego uh, around like identity or ownership over certain things, and then how that can create trust, shared respect, mutual respect, and then therefore then like an outcome of, of larger scale impact together uh, across different different realms of the business. And that seems really hard to do for, for people like there can be so much attachment to 
this is my thing, or I need to send this email in this case. How do you cultivate the mindset to give up some of those things to for this more shared good or shared mission and intention? It's very hard. And in fact, as we are talking about this, you know, as I took this job at SAP, you know, I could easily come in and say, hey, I've done this before. I've been with a competitor. I know this stuff. And this is how we're going to do this. Or I had to really, really get everything out of my head and heart and put my ego aside to say, you know what? SAP is not a small company. It's been around for 50 plus years. There's something that has been done right here. Can I first learn that? And it, I cannot tell you it required so much out of me because Salesforce, it's like a rocket ship at, at that point. And you can, and plus it's not just about Salesforce or SAP or any company. It's you usually end up thinking you're the best and what you have done is the best and no one else knows this better. But what I've realized is that the more I know, the less I think I know. But it takes, it took me a long time to figure that out without just living in this bubble. And you know what? Others can burst that bubble for you or you can burst it yourself. But egos only last that long because if we, again, if are living in a world where increasingly we are interdependent and technology has to work for the good of what we're trying to solve for, our egos will only, only take us that far. I almost hear like an implicit question in some of those conflicts in that like the question I hear is like, what can I learn in this moment? It's like almost something to generate curiosity around the learning. Like, is that, is that a fair, am I, am I making a fair assumption? Like, or are there certain questions going through your head in that moment? All the time. I, I'm the most reflective person of my actions and I get this feedback. You're the harshest, harshest critic of yourself and you're so tough on yourself. And I am because I'm an artifact of of my hard work. I may have the intelligence, I may have the basic smarts, but what I am today is because I have been able to take the feedback, I have been able to absorb it and learn from it and relearn and unlearn, and it's not easy. For me, it's actually, it's a maybe right now what I'm saying is an artifact of the book I'm reading, which is Mindset, the, the Psychology of Success. I think that's what it's called. And it talks about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And for me, every it just resonated because for me, every time I've put myself and learned and thought that I can do differently and the other person may have a point, it has made me a better leader and a better person. Absolutely. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. One avenue I wanted to explore is around prioritization and navigating conflicting priorities and why, because I imagine like in a world in which you were launching a record number of features, products, and big, massive launches, there were probably conflicting priorities of when certain things needed to get done and things needed to be uh, prioritized. And so I was wondering, is there maybe an example of when you had to navigate some of these conflicting priorities or agendas within, you know, a larger scale organization? And how did you approach those different priorities that maybe seemingly were in conflict? What did that look like? Yeah, that happens every day. As I speak, I'm sure my inbox is blowing up with five other questions questioning, hey, is this a priority? Is this, is this what we need to do? Except 
people don't necessarily ask for, is this a priority? The questions I usually get is, oh, we need more funding to do this. And the problem with that statement, in my opinion, is if I were to think about priorities, I think of it as finite time first. And it's, again, every leader has their own things, right? If let's say if I have only 24 hours, which we all have only 24 hours in a day, how do you fill those 24 hours? Suddenly, if there's another ask that comes your way, you don't put a 25th hour in your day. You take out something from your day. What has really helped and how I manage all these conflicting needs is, first of all, having a solid plan, a strategy that you have vetted out with data, you have vetted out with customer feedback, you have vetted out with internal stakeholders, people who are who know the area. Once you have a plan, and it'll never be 100% perfect, uh, but in a good place. And then you go about thinking, how, how does that happen? And what are the priorities that will make it possible? And so there's a tool internally that uh, I'm using in my team, which is a prioritization tool. It's actually inspired by uh, what Intel slash Google do with OKRs. Uh, Salesforce has something called V2Mom, but what I call it here is VTK, which is vision, values, themes, and KPIs. So it marries the, the strategic with the tactical. So the strategic is the vision. Why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, what is the why and the mission? It's a combination. And then what are the values? What are the non-negotiables for me? Where if I were to make trade-off decisions, what would I not negotiate on? And so what are the values backed up, you know, for the vision? And then what are the themes? How will I execute to make that vision based on my values possible, which are my priorities for the year? And you reset it every year. And so those themes are, it could be simple things like, okay, I'm going to put my people first and I'm going to put customer trust first. And I'm going to say, hey, I'm not going to compromise on availability or reliability or performance. And then I start thinking about what are the features that need to be delivered to make my year's goal successful. And I almost every day I remind myself, at the end of the year, what do I want to be proud of? What will I say that I I released, what I shipped, what I learned? What can I say? What did I do? And if I keep grounding myself in it, I recalibrate my calendar to see as my goal calibrating to where my time is going. And if it isn't, then I'm doing it wrong. And I think that calibration needs to happen every day if you really are fixed. If I want to learn, I have, I have put myself on a 15 minute to 20 minute of reading or learning or listening every single day. It doesn't take much, but it adds up. Am I doing that? Okay. Am I, where am I spending my meeting time? And you can endlessly fill your calendar with that too. I, I love that question as like a generative prompt. At the end of the year, what do I want to be proud of? And as a way to really orient how you choose to spend your time, because there's like that one of the famous quotes I think about is show me your calendar and I'll show you your values. Instantly, when you share the question of what do I want to be proud of at the end of the year, I'm like, well, now I'm, my priorities are totally shifting. And, think, and like I'm going through my own list of, you know, what are the things I'm hoping to do by the end of the year? So I love that. And I'm urging people listening to this to immediately apply it, whether that's personally or within like the strategy of your, of your company and your teams. One element of this to dive into. So, so let's say like we've got the VTK in place. How do you address the conflicts that arise when working, you know, with different cross-functional partners, even if this is in place? Yeah. So once the VTK is created and it's never done because it's a living document and you should have agility as one of the values that should frame some of the way that, you know, if that is where your business is at, you know, every business is different. The socializing of these are my priorities. Hey, peer, here, stakeholder, what do you think? And I can guarantee you every person you ask will have a different set of priorities. 
hey team what do you think of it hey leadership team what do you think of it it took me upwards of 20 meetings with my leadership team to come up with a 1 to 10 priority list and i can guarantee you that even today if i go to them and ask hey i'm going to make a trade off decision between funding 4 ahead of number 6 i can guarantee you that it'll still cause debates so you'll never get it perfect but at the very very onset having a a decision tree and having a prioritized list and so the 1 to 10 is a prioritized list every slide that i look at is a prioritized list if it is not an order of priority i'm not looking at a list right so you have not been intentional you put four bullet points i'll always assume the first one is the most important and so that intentionality has to come in and then at least you have a founding you know a, you know guardrails of where you can say yes and no and then of course there can be debate and there can be a conversation because changing needs and changing customer demands all of that can take over but you need to start somewhere to know okay this is what i'm going to focus on in service of this and these are the kpis then so for example if i have 10 priorities what are the kpis that are going to measure success of that priority and it doesn't have to be 50 but name three kpis each let's say to say okay if i were to have for example this much adoption or i were to have this much uptime or i were to have these many open bugs at the time of releasing any level it's it's important for me also to quantify because if you can't quantify it's hard you measure what matters and you you start measuring and then you start fixing and then you may realize hey it's not worth fixing and that's fine too but you have to start somewhere hearing about this conversation about making a funding decision you know the example of 4 over 6 and communicating the trade off like having to make a trade off decision about that funding i think is so interesting because i'm thinking about like for engineering and leaders listening to be operating in a place where you're operating like a, a large portfolio of products and services and like this this larger suite that trade off decision like the scale of it becomes much different in the conversation and like becomes a little more complex i'm wondering if you have any strategies or approaches for how you like identify or manage like conflicts maybe like ahead of time so knowing that if you're going to make that trade off decision somebody maybe is going to be disagree with that or be upset how do you manage or identify that conflict ahead of time before it becomes problematic and like what do you do to ensure that that conversation goes smoothly and that alignment happens more easily yeah this is perhaps one of the hardest things of being a manager because you think you've communicated and you think that you have done the job and it still won't be right because someone will be upset and so if suppose i have to uh, so i'm going through this right now it's a big architectural change uh and it is at the at the platform level it's let's say it's bringing data together hey you know everyone wants to do that how do we how do we think about each product doing that how we think of it as a common integration layer do we think of it as something that lives in the platform something that lives in the application how does that really happen and in all honesty there is no right and wrong here because you can endlessly argue as to where something should live should we do it in the platform should we do it in the application pros and cons of course but as you start going down and looking at the pros and cons you look at the risks for me the risks are very important as if i were to make this decision what do i risk and so there's you know the uh, the whole i don't know if you've heard of this thing of a two way door or a one way door decision making. And so sometimes as if this is a one way door, I know I've gone through this decision, I can't come back. And that's where I really fixate on okay, now I really need to put my foot down, but I also need way more buy-in because I will not be able to come back and what is the collateral of morale or customer impact, for example. Or a two way door where I know, hey, you know, I can make this decision, it's reversible, it's fine. The two way door decisions, I don't spend as much time 
as you know just going through every data point every possible thing or it has big ramifications on the team it's fine the one way door and effectively you can say hey there's no one way door decision but there is because you know you make a big architectural change two years down the line you've lost two years uh, and those are big big boulders and so that's where I, i really spend a lot of time in each one on ones and then smaller group meetings and then bigger group meetings and then go back and some people may get frustrated because hey this is taking so much time but sometimes and this is me personally as a leader i would rather make that as a more bottom up decision than top down sometimes compromising on speed right but ensuring that the key stakeholders have either agreed or have disagreed and committed and you can't have it both at some point of course you have to put your foot down as a leader but you have to give the power of people's intelligence a chance um, because if you're going to keep diminishing your people you alone cannot scale and if you are thinking that you know one person can take organizations ahead it's totally a myth the insight you shared in this realm of like managing conflicts ahead of time is by first identifying like how much time to invest in a decision to me it's like a, that's a counterintuitive perspective like for me i'm like okay i'm more wrestling with like trying to anticipate the opinion that somebody else has but what you're saying is like identify which of these decisions is like more important to spend time on i think to me is like that's counterintuitive and i really i think that's cool it is because for me again i'll keep on telling you the focus that i personally try to bring is what am i solving this for why why am i doing this and i on the prize i on the prize what will i be proud of at the end of the quarter at the end of the year my resume and my title is not what defines me right for me personally and so for others it may and you need to know you are you are your own unique person and you know your own unique battles and you know your own unique achievements that you want to go after but i on the prize this job is about putting this product out there on the on the market on the you know on the product innovation path on really making a mark for what this business uh, is about and less of how big my organization needs to be or how many people do i need to manage or what title do i need to have all of those things are initially as i, I as i negotiated i got that so what next and so if i on the price if i want to put this business on the planet's uh, radar it requires a different mindset and i can't just get busy and trying to talk about turf wars every day if that's not where my my goal is and i'm being extremely honest here and i think if everyone at every level just knows that that's the eye on the prize and that's my prize i'm going after it changes the whole narrative and the way that you operate every single day we started our conversation you know with how the heck does sap deliver a record number of, of features and products and then to essentially get to this point now where you're talking about turf wars slow you down and introduce friction and so changing your mindset as a leader to remove those as much as possible and so that you don't spend time on the things that are irrelevant like that i think is a powerful a powerful concept that's the straight talk that i think folks folks listening to this need <laughs> they do because when i had 5 people or 50 people or 100 or 200 i cannot tell you I have been the person who le- who's who had stress over oh I'm going to lose five people from my organization. 2 years later when you didn't have the job did you really care about that or did you really care about what did you deliver what did you learn what did you become? It's not a sprint it's a marathon. Absolutely. Ritu, I know we have a few minutes left. We have a couple rapid fire questions to close off our conversation. Are you ready for for us to get into some rapid fire questions? Yes. All right, perfect. What are you reading or listening to right now? Oh, I think I talked about it. Mindset: The New Psychology of Success. I also finished reading uh, Michelle Obama's. Uh, I think it's called The Light We Carry. Beautiful. Both of them are beautiful books. A kind of I I love connecting dots of really random books together. 
And she talks about courage and mindset. And when they go low, you go high. It's a mindset thing. I love it. Next question, Ritu. What tool or methodology has had a big impact on you? Communication. I I do not, I'm not a native speaker of this language. If you hear me 10, 15 years ago, you will hear how fast I spoke and how much I did not enunciate. And I've worked on it. I have a communications coach. That's for my verbal, my presentation, my public speaking. I immensely value every word that I put out there. I love Grammarly. (laughs) I tell this to my team. For every 50 minutes that you work, spend 10 minutes in communicating that out. It will will have a far-reaching consequence. That's such a powerful story for two things. I think number one, the power of of being intentional with how you communicate. But I think the other is like the ability that it's it is a learnable thing if you put in the time, the effort and the intention behind it. And I think that like in terms of like the type of leadership philosophy I believe in is like leadership and these skills like leadership and communication are entirely learnable. And so I think it's a really powerful story. What's a trend that you're seeing or following that's been interesting or hasn't hit the mainstream yet? So everyone is talking about AI and generative AI, and I think there's definitely something there. But for me, what worries me a little bit is the aspect of trust and consent and identity in all of this. Will there be soon a day where I won't trust Google and what search results are coming up and how much is actually authentic, how much is real? So some part of all of this has the flip side of how do we really think about this in a way that is still ethical, still, still real, still trustworthy, still respectful. Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's an opportunity there, uh, which is with security, uh, how do we really bring uh, that angle to the technology we're creating? I love it. Last question, Ritu. Uh, is there a quote or a mantra that you live by or a quote that's resonating with you right now that you want to send us off with? In Michelle Obama's book, she talks about becoming is better than being. Becoming is better than being. And that's, again, I also related to the whole mindset thing is like your being, your fixed mindset. Becoming is, you know, your growth mindset. And the second one, which I think about is every day, is the best way out is always through. Two powerful quotes to send us off with. Ritu, just want to say thank you so much for your time. Uh, I mean, I'm just reflecting on what will you be proud of. My time doesn't define me and you don't have time for turf wars. And so I just appreciate the stories that you've shared with us. And it's been so fun catching up. I know you and I have known each other for a while. We've been to different uh, community events and tech events together. And so it's just been a really special moment to dive deeper into your story and to hear all of the ways in which you've grown and evolved as a leader. So thank you for, for sharing those with us today. Of course, this is so fun, Patrick. And congratulations again on your wedding. Thank you. You're the happiest I've seen in a long, long time. So this is just, this is this great. I recommend everybody taking time off, going to Spain and, yes. and taking and slowing down. That's, uh, yes. that's the truth. Great to be here. Thanks, Patrick. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.